You're listening to The Mental Cast, a podcast with great discussions about mental performance training, coaching, and education and learning. Hosted by Dan Meckel and powered by Soul Performance Academy. Please check out all social media accounts at 717Soul and at Real Dan Mickle for up-to-date information, challenges, and questions. If you'd like to reach out to us here at The Mentalcast, please email us podcast at 717soul.com or podcast at Dan Mickle, and we will get back to you and may use your question for future episodes. You can also use the hashtags Ask717Soul and Ask Dan Mickle to reach us. Lastly, we would love your support across all our social media accounts at Real Dan Mickle for all of Dan Mickle's social media accounts and at 717 Soul for Soul Performance Academy. Thank you, and now here is your host, Dan Mickle. Hello and welcome to the MentalCast podcast powered by Soul Performance Academy. I am your host, Dan Mickle. The MentalCast is a monthly podcast for mental performance training, coaching, and great discussions. The MentalCast is proud to be sponsored by Soul Performance Academy. Soul Performance Academy will help you get from good to great. Whether you're an athlete, a coach, an artist, or in the corporate work world, we can all benefit from mental performance training. Learn to overcome feelings of self-doubt and fear of failure, explore how to manage emotions and feelings during competition, and develop habits to improve your concentration and manage your focus. Soul Performance Academy has solutions and training methods to help all levels of athletes, coaches, and the workforce. Visit soulperformanceacademy.com for more information and use code PODCAST to receive 50% off of any online training program. And again, thank you to everyone at Soul Performance Academy. This is season four, episode six, called They Ain't Coachable. And we are going to talk a little bit about how we as coaches and probably educators fall into the trap of saying that this current generation is just not coachable, willing to work, mentally tough, all those things that we hear when we are struggling. And... To give a little bit of background on this topic, I guess a little transparency too is I have struggled this year as a coach. It's been tough. That being said, this is probably the most I have evolved as a coach in my coaching style and how I coach in a single season in a very long time. Um, It took a lot of self-reflection and it's going to take a lot of work to continue to work and grow on this, but it was obvious that I had to work on some things to help better reach this current generation of players and those that I'm coaching. And the thing is, I think we've all been there, right? We, we've all been there where we feel like the team just isn't doing what you want them to do. And they're not working hard in your mind. And I think a lot of times we're afraid to look at the fact that maybe it's not so much that they're not willing to work for the vision, but maybe it's a faulty vision. And sometimes that's usually the last thing we look at because we've done it for years. We know what we want for years. Um, You know, obviously I am not in the coach's room at University of Alabama football or at Kentucky basketball or, you know, any of those big schools. But I would imagine that even though on the outside it seems like everything's always the same and it's just this factory, I feel like there's probably a lot of growth with those coaches and a lot of changes that they make 
Um, and I'm sure that there has been some big changes that they've made in their styles and how they're working with their current um, athletes. So why does this happen? You know, what are some of the warning signs? You know, why don't certain players or this, this crop coming in trust us as a coach? And I think there's a lot of different reasons that that happens. And it could be the fact of just sheer access to information. They can search on YouTube and find videos for any skill, any training, any sport. I've never seen a high lie match in my life, but I am confident that I could probably Google how to coach high lie or look on YouTube and search high lie videos and learn how to coach. And I think that's part of the problem that there's just so much information available that players and those that work with them get predetermined notions of what things should be. This is how the system should be, or this is how I should learn it. And they can hop around and find clubs or programs when they're younger that will fit what their vision is. You know, before the youth industry became this billion dollar industry, things were much smaller scale and players had to learn how to fit within those programs. Now there's so many different programs and opportunities that they can hop around and look for the one that feels good for them. Maybe gives them a little bit of that false sense of security, or it may actually be a good fit and that's you know what they work on. But because you're doing something different or not the way they're used to, there's those moments where they just maybe lack the trust. And we can expect that because, you know, they've been bounced around or they've jumped around and haven't had chance to really build trust. You know, and a lot of the clubs, whether it's volleyball or basketball that I've seen, there have just been you know, kids have a new coach every year. It used to be you'd have the same coach. Your 12U coach would move up with you, and by the time you're 18, you had the same coach. But now there's there's a lot of coaches staying at the levels. And, and, and I'm not advocating one way or the other for which model's correct. But if there isn't a top-to-down club philosophy, and we all know, you know how big I am on that, but um, if there isn't a top-to-down club philosophy, then you can't guarantee that the coaching styles are going to be the same or, you know, there's just not a general overall philosophy for all the years of training that a kid's with a club, even if they stay with the club. So trust issues happen there and then they end up, you know, going to high school with a different coach or college with a different coach. And that, that trust isn't there because they just never had the time or took the time, especially in the club world. Again, it, it just seems like it's all about the, the sport-specific training, and there's no development of building trust. We talk about team building and, and all of that, but how do we build the trust with the players? So that's kind of the background, and I think that is where this whole coachable thing comes. And, and for me, it, it boils down to two main factors – and then different variations within those factors. And it is whether or not the player trusts the coach or the instructor or the teacher. 
and whether or not the player trusts the training. Meaning they know that they're getting good training or they're getting good skills presented to them to work on and they're getting honest or good feedback to grow and get better. So how do we look at this? And, and I kind of look at it almost like a SWOT chart or a personality chart where we have, you know, the four quadrants and you can have a player that trusts you as a coach and trusts the training, right? And that's going to be the player that will run through walls for you. They believe in you. They believe in what you're training. So they're all in. And they're also a great resource. They're a great sounding board or or person to bounce things off of. So that's the one quadrant. Then we have the quadrant where they trust you, but they don't trust the training. And the problem with this quadrant, I think, is that they don't feel like they are in control of their destiny. Like everything's predetermined. They're too small. They're too slow just by genetics. They're never going to get better. But they like you as a coach or they trust you as a coach. So they're going to come in and they're going to work. But they probably won't reach their full potential because they just don't trust what they're being taught. Then in another quadrant, we have the player that doesn't trust the coach, but trusts the training. And a lot of times we find that these are the ones that where they're playing football because dad played football or they're playing volleyball because mom played volleyball and they're doing it because that's what's expected or that's a path for them to college. They're not really doing it for their own motivations. And they'll fight with you, but they'll at least listen to what you're doing. But again, you're not going to get that full buy-in just because they don't have that trust of you. And then the last quadrant is where they don't trust you and they don't trust the training. And those are the tough ones, right? They're the ones that just tooth and nail are going to fight about everything and think they know it all. And in a little bit, we'll get into training them. But I think it's really key that we take a moment and and think about this again. We have the four quadrants or the four styles. Trust the coach, trust the training is one. Trust the coach, don't trust the training is two. Don't trust the coach, but trust the training is three. Don't trust the coach, don't trust training is four. And the problem is we have that mix on a team. I mean, you may once in a while catch lightning in a bottle and they'll all be players that trust you and trust the training. And I guess before we go any further, I want to make a point that they don't have to all be the same. I've had very successful teams where I've had all four on the team. I didn't realize it then, but in reflection, looking back at it, 
I was able to work with them each differently. And I think that's the key. You're able to work with each style differently and help them grow individually, but that then helps the team. I think one of the traps that we run into is once we become more successful, we start to think that it's our system overall and that we can force all these styles into one group and we can't. So we have to take the time to build those relationships to understand. Like, of course, I want every player to trust me and to trust our training. But if I can't get that, or I'm still building it and it's not there yet, how do I get the most out of that player so that our team can be successful and they can grow individually as a person, even if they're fighting us? And that's where we have to stop. And I think we fall short of that a lot of time as coaches because we just lump them all together. Uh, this group of incoming freshmen or, or, you know, these kids all come from the same club or from the same high school. So they're going to be like that. And we just kind of lump them all together. And then our ego makes us think that they're going to conform to our system. This is how we're going to practice. This is how I'm going to run things. And they're going to conform to it. And the truth of the matter is, whether we know it or not, the best coaches look at them individually and say, okay, I need to coach player A like this, player B like this. It can all fit within our philosophy. It can all fit within our rules, but there's going to be deviations and variants of how we train. For example, for the group that I like to call the apprehensive group, which is the, they don't trust the coach, but they trust the training. Upon reflection, I found that those are the ones I had to be more creative with. I had to make things a little bit more exciting and more creative for them to work harder to buy in. Now, maybe they start to trust me a little bit more, but that's not even really my focus. My, my point at this point is just trying to figure out how to get them to be their best. We have the antagonist, which is the one that doesn't trust you or trust your training. And the only thing that I found to really work with them is we got to lower our shields and our defenses on them. We have to realize that they are probably not going to change, but we need them. They need us. I mean, it's a symbiotic relationship, right? We need each other. So we have to figure out how to work and, and to come in defensively while well, they're not listening and they're not going to do it the way I want to do it. They might not. But is the alternative, which is removing them from the team, better for your team? Sometimes it may be. But most cases, it's not. Most cases, you need that player. The other thing I found is, okay, how would you do it? You know, ask them, hey, this is the skill that I want you to do. This is the footwork that I want for this skill. You seem apprehensive against my method, so how would you do it? And see what they say. Maybe you'll find something that you can use but at the very least, you might understand a little bit why they do the things that they do, why they choose to do it this method. And you can at least understand that. 
But again, I think too many times we don't think about it. We just automatically get upset and say they're not coachable and kind of write them off. And then we have the accommodating player, which is the one that loves you, loves you as a coach, but doesn't trust the training. And for that one, we just have to make little goals. Let them start to trust the training, but we can't do big picture stuff. You don't want to do season-long goals. Literally, you want to do practice-based goals, week-based goals. Give them those little goals so that they can achieve them, and then they can start to feel like, oh, I can control this stuff. I am in control of my future, and I am in control of my path of learning. All right, so that's the thing. We got those the four styles. So the big concept of what I'm talking about when we try to say that they they ain't coachable, it's not that they aren't coachable. It's just that our coaching styles aren't matching with the way they need to be coached. We don't have to cater to all of it. We don't have to make the whole team or the program centered around one specific style. But we have to understand that when we're giving feedback and we're training that we might have to do it differently for each player or a group. And that's the challenging part as a coach. How can we do it so that we're not spending a ton of time, you know, one-on-one when we have the whole team? Is there a way that we can add all of these elements into things? Can we do a drill that has a very small goal to appease the accommodating player and maybe have the antagonist player demonstrate how they do it, show us how they do it. And we can be creative with our scoring or how we set it up. And that hits the three that are the hardest. And then obviously when we have the aligned player, the one that agrees with us in the training, they're gonna hop in and go for the ride because they're all in. So when you're designing your practices and your drills and your scrimmages and your games, Don't look at it from this is my system and my way and they need to conform. Look at it as how can I modify this or create this environment that hits all four of these learning styles, all four of these pods of how I have it. And to do that, we have to understand our players and and we have to really start to make those connections. And this is where I fail. You know, at, at my level, on the college level, we recruit and we, I feel like we build that relationship when we're recruiting, but then once or once on the campus, we don't have that relationship anymore. So I need to understand and ask questions more instead of assuming. If you have a player that doesn't really respond to you, You know, there's no audible or visual sign that they're even listening to you. We have to learn how we get information out of them. Maybe we ask them to repeat it back or, okay, tell me how you heard it or get their input. But we have to understand our players. We have to know what's going on. We have to know how they feel. Learn whether or not they trust you or if they trust the training and then figure out where they fall in these pods and know that, okay, when I'm doing this drill or this game, I'm going to have to modify it this way because most of my players are, are this type in the moment. 
and you have to coach them where they're at. We can continue to, to build them and let them grow as players, but the truth of the matter is you have what you have in front of you. And how much energy are you going to spend trying to make them conform to something that may or may not work versus changing and adapting and using that energy to reach them where they're at? And again, I think that's that's an old school mentality where you come in and this is where it's going to be. I think Phil Jackson, and, and I'm not a big basketball guy, so I could be totally wrong on this, but I'm pretty sure I remember, you know, Phil Jackson was the master, the inventor of the triangle offense and all that. But I think when he was with the Knicks, like it didn't work, right? So he had to adjust or he had to change. And I think sometimes we have to realize that, like, this is what I wanted, but I'm not going to get it yet with this group. So instead of forcing it and frustrating that, why don't I coach them where they're at, see what I can do with where they're at? What kind of offense, defense can I run? You know, what kind of skills can I show them? And we also have to understand that players evolve and change. The players that come in as freshmen aren't going to be the same as they are when they're seniors. And I think that was probably one of the biggest impacts of the COVID pandemic. Players aged faster. They matured faster. My freshmen that came in during the COVID year were like seniors when they came out of it. It's hard to explain. I think it was just the stress and the anxiety of it and you know everything they wanted to. But we have to realize that even in quote-unquote normal years and circumstances, that players change. So a player may come in and not trust you and not trust the training. And then at some point, they do trust both of it or one or the other. But you have to recognize it because if you don't recognize it, then you're going to be training them the old way and not the new way. And then you're going to fall into those same traps. So you have to have those conversations with your players, check-ins periodically. I know seasons get busy and crazy. And again, these are all things that I'm bad at and I'm trying to work through. But I've found that this is what's working. You have to have those check-ins. Beginning of season, mid-season, end-season, check in with your players. Just sit them down. It doesn't have to be a formal come in my office and sit at the desk. Grab them and, and you know, sit in the lobby and chat. Just see where they're at, how they're feeling, what's going through their mind, what you can do to help them, and just open up. But you really need to know your players, and you need to know that they've changed. And the only way you know that is by actually talking and interacting with them. And the other solution that we have is we have to be honest with them. Hey, look, I know that you don't trust me or I know that you don't trust the training. We'll get there. Here's what I need. How can we get that? Or what can I do to help you reach your goals? Okay, well, I got to be honest. It's going to be really tough to do that. I just don't see you in that role yet. But if we continue to work at it, I can see you in that role. Or it can happen. But I think too many times we want to sugarcoat because we're afraid to lose kids. We're afraid to have them check out. They're uncomfortable talks, uncomfortable situations. I get all of that. And again, I struggle with all of it myself. But this is the change and kind of what I've been looking at. 
going back and reflecting and saying, where did I go wrong and how can I do better as a coach? And this is what led me to this path. I realized that I was coaching everyone the same. I expected everyone to follow lockstep. This is what we're going to do. And it just doesn't work that way anymore. The days of Hoosiers and Friday night lights and all that are over. It's more individualized even in the team setting and we have to recognize that. We have to recognize that this generation is different just like the generation before them was different. There's these cycles and these turns and we have to constantly adjust. Again, I think it's because of just their access. They can watch more training videos. I mean, before you had to send away for VHS tapes. I remember Saturday mornings, seeing the commercial for the baseball hitting program. They sent away and got all these videotapes on how to hit baseballs better. Now it's a five-second YouTube search. And you have an Olympic coach showing you a skill. So they're already coming in with probably more pre-knowledge than most athletes came in 20 years ago with knowledge. And we as coaches need to evolve. We all like to say it. Oh, I like, I'm a lifelong learner and I'm always changing my coaching. But are we really? You're changing what shirt color they wear on Monday because they've always worn white on Mondays. Well, you're going to change up and they're going to wear blue on Mondays. That's not evolving as a coach. You have to go out of your comfort zone as a coach. And sometimes that's scary. Sometimes it's hurtful. Sometimes it feels insulting. But those are all things that you have to look at. I had some great talks this season that were very uncomfortable. But they helped me as a coach and helped the player as a player. And in the long run, I think it's going to make our relationships better. It's going to make their play better. It's going to make our team better. But they were uncomfortable and they were hard, but we have to have them. And we got to put our defenses down. When things aren't working, take a breath, relax, start to figure it out. But we tend to get a little bit too defensive right away. This is the way I've always done it, or this is my program, I'm going to do it. I would rather have a program that's successful and how you define success is on your terms. But would you rather be fighting against the grain all the time, trying to get them conform to your systems and how you want things done and not be successful or be successful and have some compromise? Put the shields down a little bit. Open up, be a little bit more transparent. Now, I'm not saying the team needs to run itself you know the players don't have to run the program and but they are one of the largest stakeholders in the program so there should be more of a cooperative environment again not saying they make decisions or anything like that i'm just saying if a player comes up to you with concerns or ideas on how to train or maybe change this or that let your defenses down a little bit at least listen to it there may be some merit to it communication sometimes is a lot of the problem Coach A is saying one thing, player A is saying one thing, and player B is saying another thing. But when you look at the facts, they all want the same thing, and they're actually all saying the same thing, just using different words. Those are the types of things that we have to look at.
So next time we're about to say they ain't coachable. Maybe we just need to say, am I coaching them best? Am I putting them in the best space and process to succeed? Or am I trying to just twist them and conform them to what has been tradition in my way? So it may not be so much the generation is the problem. It's just our adapting or changing for it. Or it's maybe sometimes it's just too late. For me, that was probably the case this year. There was a shift and I didn't catch it quick enough. But I'm certainly more hyper aware to it now and I'm working on it. And I'm already kind of excited about some of the things I want to do and ways I want to change things. But it's going to take work. And it's going to take buying. And it's going to take trust in you, trust in the training. And all that takes time. Because you're probably doing it differently than they've done it before. And they need to understand why. Why do you run things this way versus the way they were run at my old place or my old club or my high school coach did it this way? Why do you do it this way? I think too many times we get caught up in the, I don't have time to explain. We got a lot to work on. And I think skipping over that explanation actually is worth the time. And I think that's that's really what we need to work at. They ain't coachable. We need to take that phrase out. Got to figure out how to reach them, how to make them coachable at their level. And that's a tough conversation. It's a tough re reflection for any coach, for any educator to look back and think, am I doing the best? Was the problem me? You know, it's a combination. I'm not saying we have to put it all on ourselves as coaches, but it starts with us. We have to look and make sure, are we putting the right environment in? Love to hear your thoughts, your stories. So hit us up in the comments. Please subscribe to the podcast, rate us, like us, do all that stuff. Help us grow the community, grow the downloads and the listens. And remember, you can always email us your questions, podcast at mentalcast.com. You can reach me directly on all social media at Real Dan Mickle. You can reach everyone at Soul Performance Academy at 717 Soul. But please share, like, comment, subscribe. Do that awesome, great stuff. Help us spread the word. If you have any topics you'd like us to discuss and talk about, please send them in. We'd love to do it. But what I want you to do between now and your next practice or your next season is really sit down and think about your players. And do they fit in those four sectors? Do you have the ones that trust you and trust the training? Trust you, but don't trust the training. Trust the training, but don't trust you. Or don't trust you and don't trust the training. Most will fall in one of those four categories. And then you just have to figure out how to train them. Or if you want a good time, go back through the players that you remember over the years and see how many fall into what category. For me, that was the exciting part because I could def I definitely know that over the years I've had four great players that all fit into one of those four categories. And when I think about how I worked with them and how I trained with them, it was different for them. 
So why don't I do that all the time? Why should it wait for someone that you feel is going to be the superstar of your team to adjust how you coach? Oh, I got to change my ways and coach or this player is going to leave the team. Well, shouldn't you feel that way for every player on the team? And again, this is, this is where I falter. And this is the reflection that I'm going through, but I'm going to do better and I'm excited about doing better. And I'm going to figure it out. And I'm going to keep going. And then just when I have it figured out, things will change. And I'll have to do it all over again. But that's what I signed up for. That's what we all sign up for as coaches. All right. Peace. Love. Don't suck. See you all on the next episode of the Mental Cast. Remember, hit me up on all social media at Real Dan Mickle. Would love to have you follow me on TikTok and Instagram and Twitter and Facebook at Real Dan Mickle. And then also follow our Soul Performance Academy accounts at 717 Soul across all social media, soulperformanceacademy.com and of course, danrickle.com. Thank you for tuning in and talk to you all next month on the next episode of The Mental Cast. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Mental Cast. We hope you enjoyed it. We would love for you to like, share, and leave a review for this episode to help boost our exposure. And remember, you can reach out to us with the hashtags Ask717Soul and AskDanMickle. And you may also email your questions to podcast at 717Soul or podcast at Dan Mickle to reach us. And we may use your questions for future episodes. Thank you. And we look forward to bringing you more episodes in the future.